Welcome to The Wonder, exploring perspectives, rituals, and observances of modern naturalistic, earth-revering, pagan religious paths. Here are your hosts, Yucca and Mark. Welcome back to The Wonder, science-based paganism. I'm your host, Mark. And I'm Yucca. And today we are talking about individual practice with shared values in paganism yes and it we kind of danced around coming up with this topic because we started with the idea of talking about correspondence um, which is something very very common in many different pagan traditions and immediately coming to to the place of going well in atheopaganism there isn't really a shared there's we don't have a book right that says this color means this and this direction means that it's kind of it's kind of up to every person and that's a a really common theme with how we do our ritual how we practice how the wheel of the year looks all of those sorts of things and yet we still are a community that still practices with each other and relates and shares values. So that's where we were coming from with this topic. Right, right. And I mean, a lot of us are solitary. Mm -hmm. A lot of us, you know, work on our own. And as you say, you know, we really encourage people to do this kind of DIY religion thing, right? Where you create the practices that work best for you. You create a wheel of the year cycle that reflects the natural world where you are and the climate where you are. You know, you create a focus that looks like the way you want it to and has the symbols on it that you find meaningful. You do rituals. I mean, you may use the format that I put out in my book or not, Mm -hmm. but you create rituals that are meaningful and symbolic in the matters in the the ways that that are important to you it's not like you know some of the mainstream religions where you the the rituals are predefined they're in a book they're a thing that you're supposed to do in some cases you're not even allowed to do them there's a priest class that has Mm -hmm. to do them for you it's just it's not like that at all so i was thinking about what kinds of topics we could do. And so sometimes I will look to more mainstream pagan, which is always an ironic term, (laughs) mainstream pagan books, right? And most of those books tends to be filled with uh, magical correspondences, like this herb means this particular thing, this this gemstone or mineral Mm -hmm. is good for this particular magical practice. This you know, these things are associated with these zodiacal signs, you know, the directions, the, di- are... the, the four directions, all of that kind of stuff. And we don't have any of that because it really is, what does it mean to you, right? Mm-hmm. So in my new book that's coming out, for example, I, I suggest some uh, colors and symbols that you can use for celebrations of the Wheel of the Year holidays. But they're entirely optional. And and so I say, 
if the winter solstice is all about blue and white for you, then decorate in blue and white. It doesn't have to be red and green like everybody else does. Right. <laughs> Do what works for you. Thinking about the directions, because for some people, the directions are really important. I would imagine that if I live where you do, Mark, I might associate the West with water. But for somebody who lives in New York, they're not going to, West is not the water. That's right? right. East is the water. That's right. If you live on the Western shore of Lake Superior, then East is the water. There's no question about it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, for a lot of, if you're in Tucson, snow might not be something that you really associate with winter solstice no right? <laughs> <laughs> probably not yeah. yeah unless you you know go up into the mountains to go skiing or something but still right yeah i mean you go into the north northern arizona that's a different matter but you right. know not down in the low desert right so so all of this is to say that that led us into the conversation about, well, ours is a highly individualistic practice. Mm -hmm. That's by design, because it's not meant to be dogmatic. It's meant to be facilitative of your own spiritual experience and your own discovery journey, right? Of who you are and what, what is meaningful to you and how you relate to the world around you. Right. Now, but that, that isn't said, to say... Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. That that isn't going to be informed by things. Right. Right. The the red and green for solstice, many people have grown up around that being the color scheme, and that's what they associate it with. Or the particular family that you come from had associations, or whatever your cultural background, regional background, right? Just because it's individual doesn't mean you have to remake everything if something works for you from the background that you're coming from great right mm -hmm. certain colors certain smells foods all of those things you know we're we're shaped by that and that's not a bad thing right as long as we're yeah, you, conscious about that right you can start with a blank sheet of paper and just invent it all for yourself but you don't have to and most of us don't you know, we draw things that come from our life experience of, you know, growing up with particular sorts of practices at a particular time of year, all that sort of thing. And that's all great, right? Because it's meaningful and it resonates for us and it's, it's, it, it works for us emotionally. But then the flip side of all this is that we are in a community. It's mostly an online community, but increasingly we have people getting together in person as well. Mm -hmm. And so if all of our practices are super diverse and individualized, then what is it that glues us together as a community? Right. Right. And so what we were talking about is the shared values. Mm -hmm. In Atheopaganism, we have the four sacred pillars and the 13 principles. And in order to get into our online communities, you have to endorse the principles. We ask people, as as they they enter our as they apply to get into our Facebook group, for example, <laughs> you know this is a feminist, anti-racist, anti-ableist, you know, pro-science, anti-fascist space. Right. You endorse those values, yeah. and 
if we don't get an answer or if we get the wrong answer, which we never do, then you don't get in. Right. <laughs> because we want to share community with people that fundamentally have a respect for the individual and a respect for the earth mm-hmm. and, and a respect for critical thinking and, and science. Right. That's what and we're about. To be clear, we're not going out into other communities and saying, you've got to do it our way. But no. we're saying that this shared space that we've created here, these are the values that we have. And these are, this is what we expect here that, that we share together. And then from there, I mean, it's, it's amazing to see what people do share with each other and to see what, what things people have in common and different approaches that people take. And it's just, it's lovely. And the beautiful focuses, the, mm-hmm. the altars that they make, you know, that are always so unique so specific to that person and and what their aesthetic is and what their values are, all of that. And so to me, it's this real dance around the celebration and empowerment of the individual, as well as gathering together in community in a shared, a shared ethical and value system So that when we come together, we know, hey, you know, we're we're safe with each other here. We're we're all we all care about the same stuff. And, you know, we're we know we're gonna be respected. We know we're gonna be appreciated for what we bring. We know that there's room for us, you know, whatever, you know, our our diverse individual nature might be. Mm-hmm. All of that is just so important. And so that that is the 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 knife edge that we seek to walk. <laughs> right. right. Well, there's been a there's a really important key in all of this, and that's the communication part. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we work really hard on in both the online and in person community is to to try to explain and be open and try to understand when people are explaining the things. I remember it when at Suntree for the shared ritual, there was explanation, right? There wasn't any, or at least there was very little, or if it was there, it was so familiar to me that I didn't notice it, that the expectations were spoken out loud. There wasn't this hidden script that everybody was following mm-hmm. that is more common in more established religions, right? If you go to Catholic mass, nobody's telling you what to do. Everybody is doing it and has been doing it that way for hundreds of years, right? Mm-hmm. But when creating new things, and working with lots of different kinds of people with different kinds of practices, communicating between each other is really key so that we we know it, we're on the same page. We're not working with different expectations. Right, right. And, and the collaboration that goes into the creation of a shared ritual becomes a really important part of the process. I mean, there are times when You'll have like a ritual leader and they will either create a ritual themselves or they'll work with a 
a subset of all the people that are going to celebrate it. If you've got a ritual of a hundred people, you cannot have a collaboration of a hundred people no. <laughs> to design a ritual. It would just be a big mess, but there's a consent piece mm-hmm. where everybody agrees. Okay. You know, these, these are the folks that we have decided are going to do this thing for us. And we're going to go along with the, the practice that they've designed for us to go through for this ritual. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's always the opt-out possibility. If something comes, I mean, I can't imagine what it would be, but if there's some part of a ritual that someone is uncomfortable with, they don't have to participate. Right. Um, they And they can say, I'm not comfortable. I'm, I'm stepping out. Right. So, yeah, I mean, when I was writing my new book, one of the things that I thought about a lot was this correspondences piece because, you know, the proliferation of Wicca books and and pagan books generally, often so much of the content of those books is about this color means this thing mm-hmm. and, you know, burn a candle of this color with this sigil on it in order to accomplish this effect. It's all very prescriptive. A um, lot of the short form media that get shared too, like the Instagrams and TikToks and things like that. A lot of them are really focused on that as well, uh-huh. which, which makes sense because it's a it's a little bite sized something. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like it, it kind of lends itself to that, but then that's successful, and then more people do it, and then more people, and then that's kind of all there is. Right, right. So, and and I don't want to be prescriptive in that way. I don't want to tell people. Well, for one thing, because in my worldview such associations are arbitrary you know we we do ritual in order to affect ourselves psychologically and if you see red as a color of peace and calm then by gum use red as a color of peace and calm (laughs) it's not up to me it's up to you right right (laughs) yeah so the challenge you know, part of the challenge in putting the book together was like, well, okay, what's the content of this book going to be? Because this is all about sort of a how-to, whereas mm-hmm. the first book was much more of a theory kind of book. Right. More of a why and where's the science behind it and that stuff. The second book is much more about how to create rituals and examples and outlines and stuff like that. Right. Which is, it can be really helpful, right? Especially when somebody's coming into something like ritual with no prior experience going, right. what, it, so this is great. You're all saying, do it your own way, whatever works for you. But I have no idea what works for me, right? right. Sometimes people just want, <laughs> give me something to, to work with and then I can modify it. But like something, anything. Exactly. Right? And that's why I wrote the book that I did. The because that's what I was hearing a lot, especially from folks coming from the atheist side into the community. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that's really great about the neo-pagan community is that now it has more than 50 years of cumulative uh, accumulation of lore and knowledge and wisdom and psychological insight into what works ritually. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's just a, a huge body of accumulated knowledge there that doesn't exist in the atheist community at all. 
Right. The atheist community has a big, huge accumulated body of lore around uh, skepticism and critical thinking and being less wrong and evidentiary standards and all that kind of stuff. And all of that is very good when it comes to figuring out what's most likely to be true. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily all that useful when it comes to figuring out what's going to be psychologically impactful. Right. So that's one reason why atheopaganism is a marriage of those things so that you can do both of those things and do them well. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's what the new book is, is basically intended for is to give people some, some benefit of that experience that's been accumulated over all that time that I've managed to learn in my 35 years in the, in the the community right so i was thinking maybe we could round this out with um some like unusual examples of associations that we have like personal associations that might not be the ones that would be necessarily expected by people but that we have on our own hmm I'm going to have to think about that. Do you have any off the top of your head? Well, I kind of do. The, yeah. the, the first one is in creating my wheel of the year, the February holiday, which is often in the sort of Wiccan framework associated with snow and in some cases with little sprouts of green coming up through the snow or all that kind of stuff. In my area, that's not what it is at all. What it is is torrential cold rain. Mm -hmm. just a lot of rain and you know refilling all the agricultural ponds and getting all the creeks thundering and the river filling up and all that so I named the holiday river rain mm -hmm. and to me it is the festival of water and so I associate it with all of those kind of flowy emotional sort of qualities psychologically as well as with its more traditional association with infancy and new beginnings you know planning for the future sort of envisioning what what can come later on through the the harvesting process so that that's one that comes to mind for me immediately have you have you found one well i suppose maybe the bug association i have with summer solstice uh -huh. I think that's one that i mean there's a logic to it there for me right because that's that's when they're out <laughs> that's uh -huh. when all the bees are out <laughs> that's the ants that's the you know that's when they you see the wing dance coming out and but i think a lot of times folks kind of many people are very uncomfortable with insects and arthropods and that sort of thing so i think that gets left out of a lot of practices or views of mm -hmm. nature unless it's a honeybee or a butterfly people and a dragonfly people like those right. three right. right but most other ones they're yeah. like oh i don't know how i feel about that yeah. weird like cricket thing or that yeah jerusalem thing. crickets or those tarantula ones, hawks those are what i was thinking yeah tarantula hawks are our state insect actually uh -huh. they're beautiful they you know? are wonderful they're, yeah but the wasps are are um very different in their reproductive their life cycle than ours uh -huh. it's a little uncomfortable yes. for people to think about sometimes um so i think maybe 
that might be one association for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, it's, it's, I'm just so, the experience of my climate is it's it's a very distinctive climate it's one that i'm very in kind of mm -hmm. and i only really remember that when i travel right mm -hmm. when i travel and go somewhere else i'm like oh right other people are having a totally different experience yeah than i am yeah. here in my little you know desert mesa like that's a very you know so sometimes it's kind of it's it's hard to think about, well, what is everybody else's association? Because I don't spend a lot of time with that. Right. Right. I don't spend a right. lot of time with what the, well, that the directions is another one, right? West is often, you know, water. And... Right. And I don't actually use directions in my practice at all. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm not entirely sure why that is, because certainly I'm relating to the landscape. It's just, I don't know. The directions just don't seem to do a lot for me. So I don't, I don't do them, but, um, but a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, I, I think part of it is the association with the classical Greek elements, mm -hmm. which is a very old system, but it is a pseudoscientific system. I mean, they, they believed it at the time, but it's, it's no longer valid. We know that there are a lot more elements than that, and fire is a reaction. It's not an element. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was an, a useful concept, though. Right? Yes, I, I, I start. You know, I do a chemistry class, and we always start with, okay, well, let's talk about what elements are and how this, you know, this concept and where does it come from? And it's a, you know, it's a, it has some pretty good logic to it. Mm -hmm. Our mm -hmm. understanding has has definitely shifted over time, though, in terms of what what are those building blocks right 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 um, and and all the metaphorical associations with the directions like you know air with intellect and communication and ideation and breath and all those things um i mean it it's a it's a pretty nifty system it all fits together very well you know does, with yeah. with the the different you know phases of matter Mm -hmm. other than the exotic ones you know the the observable the, states yeah, yeah the, there you go the the observable states of matter when i was younger i did do a lot more with that because i had had a lot of of interaction with reclaiming folk oh. and they do a lot of the of the elements and direction work and so that was a lot of the group rituals that i had done had been within the context of reclaiming tradition so mm -hmm. But as I changed over time, I, I really moved away from that. And I still still do a circle sometimes, but I and will sometimes still turn in the different directions just as a way of, of creating the circle, but they don't have a really strong meaning to me because they are so different depending on where you are. Yes. Other than sunrise and sunset, right? Right. Though, you know, the, the sun coming up in the east, but even then the sun doesn't come up in the same direction. We say it comes no. up in the east, it but it actually the northeast or the southeast wildly across my sky, right? Yes, it's not absolutely. the same direction. <laughs> so it's kind of that in the same way that the seasons, you know, aren't this clear cut 
like lines between the seasons, the directions for me aren't these really clear directions either. It's kind of that that direction. Right, um, right. And the, and the Pueblo folk here use the directions in the same way, different associations. But mm -hmm. that was also something I grew up around is that it's very common to that same, you know, calling in the directions and different mm -hmm. aspects and spirits for that. I have a theory around this, which is that cultures which live in landscapes where you can see long distances tend to focus on directions like that. Hmm. If you, I mean, if you live in a jungle, then there's, it's undifferentiated. It's, it's going to be very hard to say, okay, well, this to the North is, mm -hmm. you know, associated with X, Y, and Z, because you're surrounded by a wall of vegetation that is exactly identical in every direction you look. But I think, you know, especially in the American Midwest and the arid West, you know, we have these huge, expansive vistas. Right. And so being able to encompass the landscape with an invocation, I think, is is really important, is really compelling. Mm. I could see that. Yeah. So it's just a theory, but it seems to kind of make sense to me anyway. I wonder, too, if when you're next to very when you're on the edge of very different environments, right? Being on the coast mm -hmm. and then having, you know, your mountains inland and your coast one way, you know, that might also inspire that a little bit, that there is just something very different about these different directions. Right. Where I am near the coast, there's definitely that gigantic ocean, you know, out to the west. And then there's sort of two buckets of of land stuff there's redwoods mm -hmm. which is you know the the primordial forest the you know amazing cathedral-like forest and then there's the oak chaparral mm -hmm. the the oak grasslands and chaparral and that which is just very characteristically california landscape and i've never really figured out how i mean i guess getting away from directions and just simply naming those things would probably be a way of invoking the landscape mm -hmm. um and and the local the local land and water right um yeah i need to think about this more the more i'm talking about it as as we're conversing i'm having new ideas there's also a scale aspect too of when when you're invoking what are you invoking and why Right. How mm -hmm. intimate is it? Because thinking about that, or it's very similar where I am, is we have these very, very different spaces that are all kind of close to each other, next to each other. I go up into the Rockies with the Ponderosas, and it's very different than being down here in the, you know, I live right on these scarps, this beautiful juniper pinon, and then we go down into the, so I, I'm right at the crossroads between these vastly different geographic regions. Mm -hmm. But I, I would only really think about invoking all of that in very specific types of rituals. Most of mine would be very much smaller, much more intimate of just being present with the tree that I'm sitting next to. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Um, I don't always feel the need to bring it. I'm not to that grandness of, 
let's let me bring in the whole Rio Grande Rift, right? Like that isn't <laughs> what I'm. That's not what I'm doing most of the time. I guess when I do that, it's because I'm sort of inviting. I'm inviting the landscape to witness what I'm doing in mm-hmm. a way. I'm saying, hey, if I could have your attention for a moment, <laughs> I'm over here doing a thing. And of course, it's all metaphorical in my mind. So I'm not actually asking for any kind of a being out there to focus its attention on me. But for for my own sake, I want to feel like what I'm doing is integrated into the systems of the land and water where I live. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sort of calling attention to it and saying, hey, I'm going to do a thing. So check it out. And I hope this all works with whatever you've got going on. Yeah. Let's see that. Hmm. I think it might, for me, it might be something where big, bigger moments of the year, mar- when I'm marking us, you know, the change of a year, or a solstice or something like that. But if it's a, I'm going to do some self-care and work through a traumatic memory, mm-hmm. you know, that might not, I might not bring that whole level in. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I might not want that witnessing. Right. 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 Yeah. I guess along those lines, and this is a way that we may be very individual from one another, there's something about the patience and the capacity for for just absorbing whatever events have taken place mm-hmm. that I associate with land. There's something about deep time and geology, and it just lays down layers of memory, mm-hmm. but it it incorporates them in, into itself rather than rather than suffering through them, if that makes any sense. I mean, I'm, it's sort of poetic, but, um, mm-hmm. but when you, when you start thinking about all this stuff, you get poetic really fast. <laughs> yeah. You know, kind of what it's about is metaphor and, and imagery and all that. Yeah, I wish in this moment that this was video, not audio, because Mark, your background right now, do you want to describe what your zoom background is for everybody? Oh sure, it's a it's a shot of the Grand Canyon at summer at at sunset, right? Uh, with the Alpen glow, the beautiful red Alpen glow along one scarp, and the Colorado River down below on the on the other side, down in blues and and purples, and that's just that that particular geological feature, the Grand Canyon, is just very very beloved to me, and I've had amazing experiences there. Almost died there. Mm. and uh i just i go back to images of the grand canyon over and over again the southwest generally is just so beautiful yeah and you can see in that picture the layers Uh layer upon layer and layer and then this the horizon beyond with it you know the little mesas in the background and the glow of the light so it was just as you were talking about that that relationship with the land. I was looking at that picture and going, oh, just like that. Just uh-huh. like those layers <laughs> in the rock carved away over the years and years. So Yeah, and I mean to to extend the metaphor, when those layers are are carved out, are are brought back to light, 
mm-hmm. rather than being tragedies or or crimes or transgressions instead they're beautiful right because if there's anything that i've learned through my own life it's that the suffering that i've done has helped to make me beautiful yeah and i think that's true of everyone Mm, indeed. Well, I think well, this we've has been lovely. Long, yeah, me too. This has been a, just a delightful conversation. We've come a long way from correspondences, but that's that's all to the good. I think so. Yeah. And before we know it, we're going to be at our next holiday episode. Yes. So, yeah. Another one that nobody knows what the name is. <laughs> what are we going to call it? <laughs> yes, that August thing. <laughs> so, well, thank you so much, Mark. Oh, thank you, Yucca. It's always a pleasure.